Welcome to the Big Presentations Podcast, where we offer encouragement and guidance to those who make big presentations in small rooms. We believe that properly focused practice and preparation result in effective communications. I'm your host, Paul Gibson. Let's get started. We're glad that you're here. We're excited to share yet another episode of the Big Presentations podcast with you. And we hope that you're learning something from all of this, especially if you're having to get in front of a a crowd of people that maybe isn't huge, but even small groups can be kind of intimidating and we want to help. So today we're talking about content options for your big presentations. Let's get into it. Today, I want to share with you three powerful presentation content options. But first, let's think about matching the content to the audience, because you remember that your words are powerful. They should support the goal that is leading toward your bigger hope. You know your audience, you know your crowd, and you've identified how your content highlights audience benefit. And now you seek to create the most effective presentation for this specific situation. So you sit down and you begin to plan the specifics of your message. Hmm, what to do? What content pieces would be the most effective? How can you best move the audience in the direction of your goal? To persuade the audience to change, you must provide relevant facts and compelling reasons. As you do this, keep an important fact in mind. The audience wants to know what's in it for them. What are some presentation content options that allow them to understand what's in it for them? Well, let's take some time to slow down and consider three presentation content options. The first is statistics. There are many ways to share statistics. Charts, graphs, tables, and word clouds can all be useful when used appropriately. Now, be careful when using charts and graphs because it is easy and could be tempting to crop your visuals in misleading ways. Not only is this morally wrong, but it's also risky. If you seem deceptive, it'll take a long time to rebuild trust. So seek to be a reliable reporter of the present and a trustworthy guide for the future. Make sure that all data is accurate, up-to-date, and well-presented. Another option is to tell stories. Stories are powerful. If you can share statistics and back them up with a specific story, It will give life to the numbers. It places a human face on the statistics. In the early 2000s, I had the privilege of working with a growing church. They had a welcoming family atmosphere and wanted more people to experience it. This desire for growth meant that they were tracking attendance records and the effectiveness of various programs. However, they did not want to lose sight of the fact that their goal was to serve people, each person being special and unique. So they adopted the slogan, Our numbers have names. As a reminder of this priority, your idea affects people, and those people have faces. They have names. The stories you tell can put a human face on the concept you are presenting. I just told a story to emphasize this point. A third option is to create a sense of calling. This is a good choice if you are challenging the audience to make a sacrifice for the greater good. 
It is also helpful when requesting a short-term sacrifice in favor of long-term results. For example, you might be calling them to take good care of their employees, even when it affects the profit margin, sacrificing for the greater good. Or you might call them to cut back on immediate expenses to preserve resources for a future opportunity, sacrificing short-term ease for a long-term gain. This approach provides the opportunity for the audience to be the hero when that sacrifice pays off. Be picky with your presentation content because you know your words are powerful and your time is limited. The good news is that you have the opportunity to choose the very best approach because you simply don't have time for second place content pieces. So be picky. You might not have time for statistic stories and a sense of calling. You might need to focus on one or two instead of trying to do all three. These are tools in your toolbox. So think about your goal, consider the makeup of your audience, and then customize the message to highlight how your information benefits them. Use the options that best fit the job while knowing that other options can be used in other situations. Wow, that is incredible. And I can't wait to get into more of talking about the content options that you have for your big presentation in a small room. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick step back and we're going to talk about last week's topic. So, Mike, give us a quick review. Yes, last week we talked about audience benefit. We talked about five different areas of audience benefit. Lowering stress, saving money, saving time, looking good, and setting up for future success. So if we can present information in ways that allows the audience to see that our idea is going to reduce their stress or save them money or save them time, if we present an idea that's going to make them look good, well, that's a big benefit for a lot of people. And also, if if we're able to give them information and ideas that sets them up to do well on into the future, well, that'll be valuable to them as well. Now, this is good for us today because we're thinking in terms of audience benefit. So we we will use that mindset as we think about our different categories for building a presentation today. That's right. And we're going to get into talking about those content options and how that relates to your audience coming up in just a minute. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today, we're focused on presentation content. Now, we're going to look at three options, specifically statistics, stories, and a sense of calling. So let's get started and talk about discussing statistics, the real number (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, in our house, there's this ongoing, low-level, kind of playful conflict. It's between the stats people and the non-stats people. So, for example, my my son and I were both stats people. We naturally talk in terms of probabilities. We like knowing survey results, you know, and the chances of being struck by lightning, which, by the way, are greater than the chances of getting a blood clot from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. (laughs) You know, I love that stuff. My wife, not so much. (laughs) I understand. And it's funny because I think my wife and I are both pretty equally fascinated by statistics no that's not true she's probably more so because she does teach data journalism so she does get into statistics and knows more about them than i do but we were having fun uh once again about the johnson and johnson thing i was like you know what i would be curious to know how many more people died in a car wreck after having had the johnson and johnson vaccine 
as compared to somebody who died with a blood clot, you know, because it seems like a very small right. number. But as we're going to find out here in a minute, of course, you can twist data or you can focus on Ooh. certain parts of data to make it very different. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike, somebody you and I both know very well called me up because he knew we'd had that vaccine. It was like, so you guys okay? And we're like, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I heard it like a bunch of people like, well, like millions of people have had it. And I think one person's died, which don't get me wrong, is a tragedy in and of itself. But we're okay. <laughs> okay. We're, all right. All right. Cool. Just, just make sure. sure. <laughs> which was nice of him to call. I don't want to at all yeah, poke fun right, at him right. doing that at all. It was good of him. But at the same time, I was like, it's it's highly it's, unlikely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, whether you use stats or not is determined somewhat by your audience. So this is yet another example of the importance of knowing your audience. If you provide a bunch of stats to non-stats people, then your message is going to suffer. That's right. And if you fail to provide them with stats and your group is expecting them and wants them, well, that's bad too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, you're not always going to be able to discover the preference. So if this is the case... Go ahead and use statistics, but don't rely solely on them. Mix them up with other elements. And also remember that we're in an age of cynicism regarding stats. And maybe you've heard the snarky quote that 98% of stats are made up on the spot. <laughs> kind of like I just did right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's been so much false information shared in the form of stats. So it's crucial that you cite your sources so people are not tempted to assume that you're just making stuff up or, or quoting sources that are not reputable. And also, we live in a different time uh, than you and I grew up in because right now people can fact check you in real time because you know when you say something that sounds like it's too good or too bad to be true, somebody's already on Snopes on their phone. <laughs> right, yeah. Hey, I've done that myself. You yeah. know, I hear something that doesn't sound right, so I do a quick search to see if that information came from a trustworthy source. Right. And there have been times when I discovered that a presenter had been lazy in their research or had failed to update their research. There have also been times when I realized that a number from an older presentation needed to be updated. And in that updating process, I found that it, that it had changed significantly. So I was so glad that I took the time to check. Yeah, absolutely. Now, real quick, I would just want to back up what you just said, because uh, in a very, very basic way, uh, as part of my job, I end up giving the current temperature quite a bit during my morning show that I produce. And it's pretty easy to check. All you got to do is hit the refresh button, but sometimes you forget. And then you realize after the fact, you're like, oh, wait, it's five degrees warmer now. That wasn't technically oh. true, but it was true 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so you got to be careful with that. So for sure. Now, in the core content, you talked about misleading charts and graphs. Now, how does that exactly happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so you have to watch out for this in two ways. The first way is as a consumer, when you're reading charts and graphs, be sure to pay attention to the way the information is presented. Don't assume that zero is the starting place. A different starting place creates an illusion. For example, for example, if you're looking at a bar graph comparing two processes, let's say you're looking at the speed of production for two different processes. Process A completes 80 widgets per hour. Process B completes 100 widgets per hour. 
You would expect a graph where zero is the baseline and 100 is the maximum number. That's what you would expect. So you'd glance at it with that expectation. But what if the graph creator decided to have a baseline of 60 and the top at 100? Then it would look like process B is twice as fast as process A. It would be powerfully misleading. Wow. I've never even thought about that one before, but yes, that would definitely paint it in an entirely different light. Now, unfortunately, some software applications automatically adjust baselines to make the graph look better and to save space. Now, and I get that, but you might need to override that default in order to mm -hmm. avoid creating a misleading visual, even if it's not on purpose. It's right, still your yeah. responsibility. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It takes a little extra time and, and really awareness, but it's worth the effort because if you appear to be misleading the audience, you're going to pay for it. Even if it's an accidental thing, trust will take a hit. Absolutely. And I've got a prime example of that. Uh, not too long ago, there was a scandal. And if you're aware of this, you, you probably know. And if you don't, the it's okay. There was a governmental body that presented statistics on this thing, and they were wanting the numbers to go down. That was kind of the, the what everybody wanted to see. They wanted to see this number get lower. So they presented a bar graph, and they were like, look at this. See how, how good we're doing. This number is going down. And if you looked at the bar graph real quickly, like in the 10 seconds it was on screen, you go, oh, they're killing it. That's great. But if you paused it and you looked at the bottom... Each bar was supposed to represent a month within the year. The months were not in order. So if you oh. put them in chronological order, the graph showed <laughs> nothing like what they were claiming <laughs> they were showing. And they got called out on it because people can pause Ooh. stuff because of TiVo <laughs> and oh, or their DVR. Wow. And everyone's like, yeah, that's not what that shows at all. They're like, oh, oops. Oh, sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Yep, and trust took a hit oh, right there. Nose dive. Oh, yes. Uh, so be careful. Be careful. Because even if you do it accidentally, mm -hmm. and especially if an audience doesn't know you very well, right. they may just assume that you did it purposefully and that you are being untrustworthy in the way you present information. So stats can be powerful, uh, but people approach them with cynicism. Uh, so make sure you're citing your sources and make sure that data is not being represented in ways that could be misleading. For sure. So slow and down I would say that's true whether it makes you look good or not, but especially like it was in this governmental bodies case, it made them look better. Then you have mm. basically no leg to stand on. You could say it was an accident, but no one's going to believe that because it made them look so much better. <laughs> so oh. you, you have to be especially careful if, if it's something that is about you or affects you in some sort of way. Wow. Right, okay. Yes. So the first Ooh. category, statistics. Now the second right, right. one, is stories. Now, earlier we pointed out how some people are, are just not numbers or stats people. It's just not their thing. So it seems like there would be a higher percentage of people who like stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I like the way you're talking in stats there. Yeah. You must be like a stats yeah, person. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about 80% in favor of stats. <laughs> not all the way. <laughs> oh, man. So you're, you're right. Stories have a broader appeal than stats. I mean, there are some people who are stats people, some people who are stories, but stories have this mass appeal because stories naturally invite the listener to suspend disbelief in order to experience the story. 
And stats just don't do that. That's right. There's an emotional connection that can often happen with stories. So I can see that. Now, if I tell a story, the default is acceptance, unless it's just really far out. True or not. I mean, if it's kind of outlandish, then we'll probably be more hesitant to take it in. But with that withstanding, more people are just going to accept you at your word to a point. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's why the best teachers in the history of the world have used stories as the most powerful tool in their toolkit. Aesop told fables. Jesus told parables. And there's a reason for this. Stories work. I absolutely agree. One of the stories that I used to tell, I I really felt like emotionally connected to my audience. It was a drug and alcohol awareness uh, presentation that I would give to a younger audience. And so you're trying to make an emotional connection because they've had people tell them all their lives. Drugs are bad. Alcohol is bad. You don't want to do that. That that gets to where it's numbed them to where they don't hear it as well. So I shared a story of a friend of mine that I grew up with, a very, very good friend. And we did drug and alcohol awareness speeches and skits and plays. And we knew all of this information and we would share it with people ourselves. Well, we got into high school and I was a little bit older than he was. And, and, you know, I ended up graduating before he did. And, and so I didn't get a chance to talk to him as much. And one day he randomly said, Hey, uh, man, I need to tell you something. I was like, okay, what's that? He goes, well, my brother and I were at a party and we were drinking and we, we were smoking some stuff and it probably wasn't a good idea, especially since we went and rode his motorcycle directly afterwards. And I'm just going, this is not going anywhere good. And he said, well, I don't remember very much, but we woke up in a field and my brother was about 10 feet away from me. And we were able to piece together from what the circumstance was that we had hit a Bob bar fence on the motorcycle and had both gone airborne. The motorcycle was totaled and we just had a couple of scratches and bruises. And ultimately I realized that I might not have made it and probably shouldn't have survived this circumstance and this dumb decision I made. But I realized in that moment that this choice is going to change my life, but it could have ended my life. And I want you to help hold me accountable to make better decisions um, because obviously I was not making a good decision and I knew better. I knew better, but I, I made a poor choice and I'm so thankful that, whether it was luck or a blessing or whatever, that I'm still here, but I think you should know. And it was, it was amazing how quiet the room got. Cause there's usually a murmur, you know, especially yeah. with younger, younger participants. And they were just dumbfounded. And I would get kids mm-hmm. who would come up with after and be like, Hey, that was really big. And I was like, yeah, this kid was very smart and is still very smart. He's an intelligent person. So just don't think that because you, are smart and you don't think you're dumb that you're never going to do anything dumb because he made a bad decision, even though he's very smart and he knew better. So just keep that in mind and don't ever think you're above making a really bad decision. And that story was a true one. And it connected because it put a face, it put a human personality with the idea of making a a stupid choice. Not just like, imagine that you're at a party, you know, that doesn't connect with anybody. Right. Right. So it, it really did connect and made a huge difference in my presentation. That's a good, yeah, I like that. That's a good story. So now, but in the core content, you talked about the idea of pairing the numbers with the stories, pairing the stats and the narrative. Tell us about how that works. Okay, yeah, good, good. So stats alone can seem a little dry. 
especially for the people in our audience who are not stats people. So, so if you share a stat and then tell a story, it'll give depth to those numbers. Or you could hook the audience with the story and then follow it up with a statistic that reveals how common or rare that experience is. So your audience would not have responded near as well if you would have just said, hey, X percent of high school students die in drug driving accidents. Right. Absolutely. They probably heard those numbers before. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I would say one thing that I've seen done that I thought was very effective in presentations, and I think I've seen this done a lot in political speeches, and I think it works really well for that, is they will say something like, I could tell you that 98% of this is this, and I could tell you that when you try this, it doesn't work this percentage of the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So I'm going to tell you a story of an example of what this really looks like. And you're throwing out those numbers for the people who want them, but you're not dwelling on mm -hmm. them. But you're also acknowledging that they're there to back up the story that you're about to tell that really pulls people in who either A, might not like the stats as a mean of convincing, but also for the people who do, it just beefs it up even more. That's good. Right. If you are, for example, uh, delivering a presentation uh, at work about the need for more training regarding safety issues because we're in a high risk situation or maybe because there was something that happened. There's something that happened. You've got your story. Mm -hmm. You tell the story of what happened and it creates a sense of gravity and realness to it. Uh, if you don't have that story, you're just trying to avoid the story. Then the next best thing you can do is tell the story of a similar organization that does similar work that had a bad experience costly, dangerous, uh, maybe involving injury or death, and you're able to learn from their mistake without having to make that mistake on your own. So you can say, here's what has happened over here. They do the same kind of work we do. We want to make sure that that doesn't happen here. Exactly. Didn't That's that kind of the, that could have been us situation. Right. Yeah, which is similar to what you did with, with your story. Those kids are hearing that going, oh, that could be me if I make that decision. So, yeah, the, the stories uh, paired with stats can be a powerful combination. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today, we're covering a lot of ground. I mean, we're, we're going back and thinking about the idea of audience benefit, and then we're thinking about developing content options that help us address that audience benefit. This is a lot of stuff. It may feel a little overwhelming. There's just so much information, or it may be just whetting your appetite. You're like, man, I just want to know more. Either way, there's a great resource available for you. Go to Amazon and get big presentations in small rooms. You can get it in print. You can get a digital version of it. Or if you want to listen, there's an audio book for you there as well. So check out Big Presentations in Small Rooms on Amazon. You can find the link in the show notes. All right, so we're taking a quick break from, you know, the normal content of talking about speaking in front of people to just catch up with each other and know what's going on in each other's lives. And you get to listen in on this, too, to know that we're, well, real human beings. So, Mike, what's been going on with you this week? All right. Yeah, it's an eventful week. I hired a coach for myself. Wow. Yeah, yeah, which was, a, it was like a humbling thing, but in a good way. So I hired a coach to help me learn how to best 
uh, create and market online classes. Now, I'm so excited about the online class that I'm developing based on the book. I want to make sure that it's good and that it's set up for success. So I hired a coach. I'm excited to get started with that coaching. So that was, that was a big deal. Uh, and I don't want to encourage you guys. I mean, that, that was my area where, you know, I, that's not my background. The marketing things are not my background. So, so for some of our listeners doing a big presentation in a small room, that seems overwhelming. That's not your background. Well, that's where I, I can help you. Cause that is, that is my background. That is my area of expertise. So if you're in a place where you need that kind of help, contact me, uh, there's contact information in the show notes. Uh, you can do also do it through the website, big presentations. Dot com And I'd, I'd love to be able to help you out in the way that I'm being helped by a coach. Now, that sounds like a lot, but I dare say that can't be everything. I just see oh, this right, glint right, right, in right, your right. eye that there's more yeah, that happened this true. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was all on the business side, which is big. Uh, on the personal side, baby, we got a wedding coming up this next weekend. I mean, Muscle we were talk. within, we we're in the hole. Thank you. Thank you. So my oldest daughter's getting married and. So all the craziness that goes into getting everything ready for that is happening this week. The same around the same time, I discovered that another one of my kids and and her husband are going to be moving to Vienna at the end of the summer. So big changes there. Edelweiss. Oh, dear. Well, my week has not been that crazy, but still, it's been interesting. I took a couple of days off from my normal job, and we worked for several hours on cleaning out our garage, which has been inhabited by the contents of our storage unit. And it's been interesting because most of the things in that storage unit have been unopened for five plus years. So we've we've done that. We've been we took uh first birthday pictures uh, for my son, oh, yeah. which was a lot of fun. He got to do a smash cake and he very quickly oh. discovered he likes icing a lot. So that was very cool. Um, and my brother-in-law's in town. So uh, we've oh, had great. just a whole lot of stuff just kind of intermingling, uh, but it's been, it's been good. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. It was a good week. It has been a good week. And with that, we're going to get back to the show. Now we've talked about stats. We've talked about stories, but there's still one more. And it's the category of addressing a sense of calling. Now, mm. let's get into that. What What is a sense of calling? It sounds very lofty, but what is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're recording this podcast in the spring of 2021. 2020 was a difficult year. People lost loved ones. They lost jobs. Some people lost their homes. It was a rough time. It was also a time when many people stepped out and stepped up and willingly gave of their resources. Absolutely. Now, time was donated. Skills were used. Money was even given away, and they did not have to do that. There were no laws requiring this generosity, and that's what makes it a really big deal. Yeah, yeah. It happened because there was this sense of calling, a value that was higher than the time, the talent, the money that was that was donated. People wanted to meet needs and they were willing to make a sacrifice for a greater good. They had a sense of calling. The people we look up to as heroes are people who have a sense of calling. There's something they value more than personal wealth and comfort and, and security. So providing a sense of calling, that's like giving someone the opportunity to be kind of a hero. I can see how that would be a hugely powerful application to use. Yeah, it it is. But it must 
make sense. There needs to be clarity regarding the sacrifice and the payoff. You must make the connection between the actions needed and the positive impact of those actions. A good example of providing a sense of calling is found in the words of John F. Kennedy when he said, and probably some of you could finish this sentence, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I'm disappointed in your Boston accent, though. That's a, that's a little sad. <laughs> I have no Boston accent. <laughs> if JFK were a Texan, he would have said. <laughs> oh, dear goodness. Okay, so that call was preceded by a big challenge for U.S. citizens to be willing to work together to negotiate in ways that would bring unity and build strength through civil rights strong international ties, and even scientific exploration, which was huge. Yeah, yeah. He appeals to a willingness to sacrifice for a greater good, and it was powerful. That is one of the most famous quotes of all American politics because it created this strong sense of calling. So it seems like presenters have to be careful with this one because it can work against you if it's not well done. <laughs> yeah. It must be appropriate for the presenter's role. It must be articulated so that it is not lost in confusing language. And it must be believable, connecting the dots between present decisions and future rewards. As we've said before, we should be focused on audience benefit. The benefit here is the opportunity for the audience to play the role of the hero who answers a call and creates a better future. That gets us through all three options, stats, stories, and a sense of calling. Yes, use all of these with the audience benefit in mind. It's about the audience. So know your message, know your audience, make the connection. Stats, stories, and a sense of calling can help you do just that. Can help you make your big presentation in a small room. Have you been able to use some of the things that we talked about on the show? Well, let us know about it. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what information you found the most useful and made your presentation better.